Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.52 a.m. Central Standard Time on the 21st of January, 2021. Again, this has got to be a numerology thing. I'm absolutely certain that some freaking flat earth nut job out there is going to start figuring out how we're all going to die. But not today, honestly, because this is episode 350 of Bitcoin. And my God almighty, there's FUD everywhere, dude. It's just, it's like Bitcoin lit on. I woke up to Bitcoin being lit on fire from both ends, man. I mean, it's like I got a price drop. I'm trying to figure out what the hell happened. I got people telling me about Craig Wright being a dick again, not like he's ever not a dick. And then I got like apparently a double spend going on. We got to figure this shit out right now. Okay. Because none of this crap has anything to do with the stability long-term of Bitcoin. All right, let's let's see what's going on here. Um, we had a major price correction, and I think you know, people are picking it up all over the all over the uh, news and and media. You know, websites are going crazy with this twenty two percent drop from Bitcoin's all time high. Welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. What? Is, how? I mean, literally, have you not been watching for the last twelve years? This happens all the time. Much of it is created by FUD. Now, this one, we're going to start and kind of go through this. As I'm going to take you through this as best I can. We're going to start with this bullshit Cointelegraph article that was written by Samuel Haig. And it seems that this thing got picked up and plastered all over the damn place. I don't know if it hit a Bloomberg terminal and it just got picked up and ran with, but the thing went viral, and I think it's one of the causes. It's probably not the only cause, but it's definitely one of the causes of the massive price dump that everybody woke up to this morning. And uh, I'm not happy with Samuel Haig writing this, but this is one of the things that happened, so bear with me. Bitcoin double spend spotted in the wild. BitMEX research has identified what it believes to be a double spent Bitcoin transaction worth $21. Hmm, interesting. BitMEX research has identified a suspected double spend transaction valued at 0.00062063 BTC or roughly 21 bucks. And it doesn't appear to be an instance of that popular replace by fee wallet hack. On January the 20th, BitMEX's fork monitor noted that, quote, multiple blocks were produced at height 666-833, and then they tweeted the, you know, a couple of pictures out from the fork, uh, their fork monitor, and it, anyway, it just shows what's going on. One hour later, BitMEX research attributed the orphaned block to a, a replaced by fee transaction, or RBF, which is where an unconfirmed transaction is replaced with a new transfer paying a higher fee. However, Fork Monitor has since updated its advice to say, quote, no RBF bumps have been detected, end quote. Twitter user and BSV's Australian advocate Ellie Ephraim, a guy I haven't heard from in a long time, noted the mixed messages from BitMEX research asserting that the double-spent transaction should be cause for concern despite its small value. Quote, so it appears that an actual double-spend has occurred on BTC, not an RBF or replaced by fee, but an actual double-spend, a mere $22 USD, but this could have been $22 million. Mm, End quote. Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper is credited, credited with having the double-spend problem in 2019, sorry, solved the double spend problem in 2009. The challenge of ensuring 
that a decentralized network can autonomously verify that the same coins have not been transferred more than once had stymied earlier attempts at digital cash. Indeed, it had. In July, crypto security firm Zengo identified a double-spent exploit targeting several popular Bitcoin wallets. While the wallet manufacturers moved to address the exploit, Bitcoin Cash prominent or proponent Hayden Auto warned the vulnerability may be inherent to BTC's replace-by-fee functionality. He earlier exploited the same vulnerability in a viral video. All right, so these guys, this is what it's what what. This is the way that I'm kind of interpreting what's going on here. These Samuel Haig wrote this and picked up the BitMEX research fork monitors double spend. Whoop-de-doo. This, this actually happens all the time. And what ends up happening is you get a fork and the longer fork wins. <laughs> Bitcoin is basically doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing, right? So... This is, it's not, this is horribly misinterpreted. In other words, this guy said, okay, here's a double spend. BitMEX research says it. But then he looks out, he looks to a Bitcoin cash and a freaking BSV person to see what they think and has absolutely no other body, you know, no other person in there except these two guys giving their two, you know, two cents on what the hell's going on. You don't trust people from Bcash. You don't trust people from BSV. I would trust Bcash people a hell of a lot more than that freaking hack Craig. We'll get to his ass in a second. In either event, there is a rebuttal piece that was written by Bloomberg. This is Mark Cudmore, and he wrote this after the Cointelegraph piece. Let's see what he has to say. He says, why Bitcoin double spend story is being misinterpreted. While the price action has been sharply negative, the fact that Bitcoin is still trading above $30,000 debunks the idea of it being hacked in some way. As one reader wrote in to say, it would already be close to zero if this was true. A couple of readers have written in to educate me on what has happened. Double spend attempts happen frequently. The blockchain itself has never been corrupted that we know of. However, slow transaction confirmations open up the potential for somebody to try to double spend their coins. This is why transactions being confirmed via multiple blocks are a design feature of Bitcoin and not a bug. Someone using a single block confirmation is arguably missing the point as this was addressed in the Satoshi white paper. Six confirmations or blocks are often considered secure. Indeed, they are very secure, by the way. The need for multiple confirmations slows Bitcoin transactions and, at the margin, undermines the idea of becoming a dominant currency of exchange. Uh, guys, stop that shit. If you were purchasing Bitcoin to hodl, this story should make no real difference to you. It's only problematic if you were buying Bitcoin as you think it's going to be the currency of the future. But those types of buyers would appear to be in the minority nowadays, which is why negative momentum may be the only serious problem here. And even this dude is getting shit wrong, okay? But I mean, at least he kind of, says what the hell's going on. It's not a single transaction in a block. It's multiple trans or it's a single transaction that's buried under multiple blocks and those are impossible to double spend, but if you're if you're trying to double spend on the same block, all that's going to happen is you're going to get a fork and the bullshit fork is just going to go away and get orphaned. That double spend is never going to happen. Then it gets sunk into amber layers and layers and layers of amber and it becomes more and more impossible to double spend something that's that that's why you use six transactions shit you could say five or you could say i don't feel safe until 15 it's up kind of up to you as to when you feel that your transaction is now safe so this is all bullshit but this the fact that it undermines it being a currency second layer people second layer third layer fourth layer Fifth layer, we build in layers. And it's possible that somebody will build a second or third layer on top of either the Bitcoin main chain or possibly Lightning or Liquid or something else, and it will not be freaking secure. It is entirely possible that a layer on top of Bitcoin that is not Bitcoin itself but attaches itself to the chain in some way 
may be unstable, unsafe to use. Only time will tell, and it's up to you whether or not you're going to use it. It is. This has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin was designed to do a certain thing. Security and be able to permissionlessly give somebody else value. That's it. All right? It, it, yes, it will work as a currency or at least a base layer of a currency like Lightning or Liquid or whatever. But again, I guarantee you somebody is going to build a scam layer two on top of Bitcoin and it will not affect Bitcoin at all. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody's trying to build that shit right now just so that they can try to trash the name of Bitcoin. So watch out. When you get into the second and third stuff on top of this, just because it's built on top of Bitcoin doesn't mean that it completely inherit, inherits all the safety and security that Bitcoin's base layer gives. If you want to make deadly sure that your transaction is safe and secure forever and ever and ever, even if it's just a coffee transaction that you want to pay a lot of money for, hey, if you want to do that, that's fine. I don't really recommend it. But for somebody who's moving $100 million, I probably wouldn't be using a anything other than the actual base chain. Scale happens in layers. That's how the internet was built, guys. Just saying. So <clears throat> let's get into, hold on for a sec. I need to pause. Sorry, I had to move a tab around so that we could get to the other end of the Bitcoin FUD that's going on today so that we get a clear picture of everything. And yeah, you're going to yell at me when I start reading this and you'll know why in a second, but we got to do it because the shit's going on. Bitcoin.org refuses to remove white paper despite legal demands. This is going to be Liam Frost writing for Decrypt.co today and says the lawyers of self-proclaimed Bitcoin creator Craig Wright have demanded that websites Bitcoin.org and BitcoinCore.org remove Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper from their platforms, alleging that it violates copyright laws. In response, Bitcoin.org's pseudonymous owner, Cobra, has refused to do so, arguing that the Bitcoin white paper was published under the M MIT license, which allowed for free distribution. He also denied other claims made against him, such as that Wright owns the BitcoinCore.org, or sorry, Bitcoin.org website. And that's the first I've heard of that shit. So, quote, we believe there is no doubt we have the legal right to host the Bitcoin white paper. Furthermore, Satoshi Nakamoto has a known PGP public key. Therefore, it is cryptographically possible for someone to verify themselves to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Unfortunately, Craig has been unable to do this. In quote, <clears throat> the law firm Antia, or that SC Antia, argued that Wright published the Bitcoin white paper as Satoshi Nakamoto on October the 31st, 2008. But since his identity was revealed in 2016, he publicly revealed or rather claimed that he is the document's author. In May of 2019, Wright registered a copyright claim to the white paper with the United States Copyright Office. However, anyone can register any claim to copyright in this way, and there are other people with the same claims to the white paper. Quote, Dr. Wright has decided that it is time to enforce his copyright in the white paper, wrote law firm Antier in its letter addressed and sent via Twitter to Cobra. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. The lawyers noted that the white paper is currently available for download to the public in the UK and throughout the world and argued that the domain name Bitcoin.org is owned by Wright and therefore that it infringes on his copyright. In his response, Cobra called the lawyer's claims false, denying that Wright had any claim to the website. However, he noted that Bitcoin Core developers, quote, unfortunately already tried to remove the white paper from their website, giving the claim undeserved credence, quote, unfortunately, without consulting us, Bitcoin Core developers scrambled to remove the Bitcoin white paper from BitcoinCore.org in response to these allegations of copyright infringement, leading, lending credence to these false claims, said the later letter, adding, quote, this surrender will no doubt be weaponized to make new false claims like that the Bitcoin Core developers know CSW to be Satoshi Nakamoto, and this is why they acted in this way, end quote. Cobra claimed that the Bitcoin Core developers also lent ammunition to Bitcoin's enemies, engaged in self-censorship, and compromised its integrity. And in this particular case, Cobra is correct. I went balls after 
the Bitcoin core developers for this cowardly, spineless, limp-wristed bullshit action. Yeah, I I get it. They don't want to be dealing with a lawsuit. Then don't respond to the lawsuit. Tell them to fuck off. Honestly, what are they going to do? I, I know at least two people did not even respond to lawsuits of defamation and libel or whatever. Uh, when when Craig first did that that flurry of, of lawsuits, he said he sued uh, Vitalik. And as far as I know, Vitalik just crumbled up the letter and threw it in the trash and nothing has happened since then. And there's at least one other person, and I can't remember who, who said, I'm not even responding to this bullshit. I, I honestly, I'm like, so what is, I, I don't know. I need, a, I, I need to talk to a lawyer about exactly what happens when you just tell somebody who's trying to sue you from another country to fuck straight off. I mean, is my state department really going to come knock on my door and say, Hey, United States department of state, we've got this. There's a lot guy. There's a guy over in the UK who says that you called him a poo poo head and you really need to respond to this. What? No. State Department, what are you going to do? How come you're not protecting me as a United States citizen? I mean, and honestly, I cross-border lawsuits or 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 uh, inter-country or wait was yeah inter-country lawsuits don't even make sense. I mean, they just don't. It's like, what are you gonna do? I mean, it, I don't know. I'm rambling here, but it doesn't make any sense that somebody from the United States or Spain or, um, well, actually maybe Spain because they're part of the EU, but the UK is no longer part of the EU. So who gives a shit? If the U, somebody in the UK sues somebody in Madrid, why would Madrid give a shit? Why would Spain even care? Why do these people care so much about a lawsuit when it's become clear that this guy is just a loser? He's just a loser. And he hasn't been in the news in so long. I think that's why he did this. I think it's just, he's just an attention whore. And yeah, he got attention from me, but it still doesn't make any sense as to why the core developers just folded up like a cheap suit. And it's clearly, it's not all of them. You know, there's a, probably some core developers that don't even know this shit happened yet because they're probably coding Bitcoin and they don't give a shit. But a couple of them did give a shit and they pulled the white paper and they did everything that Cobra says is going on. They lent credence to the claim and they've given ammunition to Bitcoin's enemies. Nothing was done here except bad things for Bitcoin. It's not going to matter. Honey Badger doesn't give a shit. Bitcoin doesn't know what's going on. Thank God Bitcoin doesn't know what's going on. But still, what happens when a letter from FinCEN gets sent to the core developers? What's going to happen? I mean, I'm not, I'm trying not to hate on him, but I got to call the spade a spade. They folded like a cheap suit. Again, not all of them, but whoever it was that pulled that shit down, you know, needs to be bitch slapped. Thankfully though, we can't fire them because that's the way Bitcoin works. Bitcoin is for enemies. Bitcoin is for people that fold like cheap suits at the first sign of some asshole with a lawyer. But all in all, Bitcoin itself doesn't actually give a shit. Right, so between double spend FUD, Janet Yellen FUD, Christine Lagarde FUD, FinCEN FUD, Bank FUD, and now Craig Wright FUD, Bitcoin still is above $30,000, which is 30% higher than its last all-time high when you look back to 2017. It seems to not give a flying shit, right? So... Speaking of, the Bitcoin mempool stays cool. I need to cool down. As payment numbers pass 2017 records. Wow, that's pretty cool. Sean Jarvis is writing this for btctimes.com. Bitcoin's transparency may be taking longer, or transactions may be taking longer to clear and cost more than usual for some, but that may be because the network is handling more than it has in a very long time. According to data from monitoring resource transactionfee.info, this month has seen Bitcoin process a record number of payments per day, just under 800,000 on January the 9th. 
This number beats the amount of payments reached in late 2017 as Bitcoin approached its peak of $20,000 bull run. At that time, however, transaction delays and fees were a major headache for many users. Despite there being more payments in 2021, however, neither fees nor processing times have witnessed apocalypse or even come close to the level seen three years ago. Quote, given this, it's astonishing how well the mempool is holding up and how comparatively low the transaction fees are, said Serjej Kotlier. I'm butchering your name, Serge. I'm sorry, dude. But he's the CEO of Payment Gateway Bit Refill and summarized the phenomenon in a series of tweets on Monday. Bitcoin's mempool refers to the size of unprocessed transactions waiting to receive confirmations from miners. When referring to the mempool, it is important to note that each Bitcoin node maintains its own version of the mempool and keeps it synchronized with the Bitcoin network. Mempool statistics often use data from a number of Bitcoin nodes in order to create an accurate representation of the mempool status. When there are many Bitcoin transactions, particularly those sent by users who opt out of tools that improve capacity, such as segregated witness or batching, the mempool size can increase quickly and significantly. Most of the time, Bitcoin transactions can be sent on chain for as little as one Satoshi per byte. But if the mempool is full, it might reject low bids, causing them to fall back to the sender as miners choose more profitable transactions. This was a frequent occurrence in 2017, but analyzing chart data, this year doesn't appear to be anywhere near this level of congestion, even when Bitcoin reached its recent all-time high of almost $42,000. At press time, there are around 60,000 unconfirmed transactions in the mempool, according to mempool.space. At its highs in late 2017, the mempool counter, uh, counted over 250,000 unconfirmed transactions, quote, the biggest contrib contributing factor to this is that most exchanges have now implemented payment batching, which scales incredibly well for when many people are buying or withdrawing coins, Cotlier said. Quote, he had, he, uh, had that upgrade not happen, we would be in a much more dire situation right now. Bitcoin has thus avoided the ire of those touting altcoins as a superior alternative for payments in 2021. Uh, perhaps ironically, it is the largest altcoin ether, which has become notorious for high fees in recent months, thanks to a surge in volume accompanying the decentralized finance DeFi movement, and we'll have more on that later, uh, and stablecoin usage. Electrum's mempool reached new all-time highs this month, while cumulative ETH fees uh, did I say Electrum? Ethereum. I, I hope I said Ethereum. Ethereum's mempool reached new all-time highs this month, while cumulative ETH fees passed the $1 billion mark for the first time on January the 16th. As BTC Times reported, so-called Layer 2 solutions have further seen progress throughout the year, theoretically expanding Bitcoin's network capacity by allowing users to move non-critical transactions off-chain. Yes, thank you. Somebody freaking gets it. Skybridge gets it because Skybridge COO Brett Messing concedes that uh, even though they have $370 million inflow into the Skybridge uh, Bitcoin fund, that the pretty much says that an ETF, if it comes out, is going to put it out of business. So, but I mean, for right now, shit, Skybridge is rocking, pal. Skybridge Capital's Bitcoin fund grew to $360 million in the first few weeks, according to COO Brett Messing. Skybridge never planned on getting into Bitcoin, according to Messing, but in November and December of 2020, Skybridge invested hundreds of millions of dollars into Bitcoin on behalf of its funds, launching its Skybridge Bitcoin fund on January the 4th, 2021, with $300 million at the time. And then, with an influx of new money and growth in Bitcoin's price, the fund value rose even higher. Quote, we presently have a position that's valued at $360 to $370 million, he told Decrypt on Monday, although Bitcoin's price has dropped 8% since then. Skybridge Capital is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm with over $7 billion, that's billion with a B, in assets under management. It's run by former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci. That's the mooch man. The fund is audited by audit giant Ernst & Young and requires a minimum investment of $50,000. Investors are also required to be accredited. Redemptions are possible on a quarterly basis with a 30-day notice, and Fidelity serves the as the Bitcoin custodian. 
Quote, the mission of Skybridge was to democratize hedge funds for the mass affluent, Messing said. As COO, Messing is responsible for the day-to-day operations across its multiple funds, but he says that the Bitcoin fund is surprisingly simple and efficient to run. Quote, money comes in, we buy Bitcoin, and it goes to Fidelity into cold storage, Messing said, adding, I ran a $3 billion long short fund that was way more complicated than this, and it's just not that demanding from an operations standpoint, end quote. The Bitcoin fund is also run by Bitcoin maximalists who believe Bitcoin is and will continue to be the leading cryptocurrency in the market. Quote, we're very passionate about it. We feel like we're doing people a favor by introducing them to Bitcoin and in success, we make money. Messing said, adding, quote, we're Bitcoin maximalists. We aren't interested in getting involved into anything else, end quote. Messing's own journey to Bitcoin began when he was much younger. Now he is applying the lessons he learned in his early investment days to Bitcoin. Quote, when I look back at my life, the best investments were just to buy the leader always and then sit back and do nothing, end quote. A Bitcoin exchange-traded fund is one of the most anticipated developments in the Bitcoin industry, but Messing believes it could be bad news for the growth of Skybridge Bitcoin Fund. Quote, the ETF will put us out of business in that our fund will continue on, but won't be able to raise any capital, Messing said, adding, why do I need a private fund? End quote. Anticipating this challenge to Skybridge's fund, Messing thought the company would have a one to three year window to generate capital, but even that might be too optimistic. Quote, when we launched the fund, we assumed that there would be a one to three year window for us to raise capital. I now think we'll be lucky if it's a year. A Bitcoin ETF might be a challenge that lies ahead for Skybridge, but the future of institutions investing in Bitcoin is also far from guaranteed. The biggest threat to Bitcoin, according to Messing, is an infrastructure breakdown that causes serious investors to lose faith in Bitcoin as an asset. Quote, the thing I would most worry about is infrastructure breakdown. The fact that Coinbase goes down every single time the market moves, I think that's concerning to serious institutions. Messing said, oh boy, he got that one wrong. Mooch, dude, has nothing to do with freaking Coinbase. Bitcoin has nothing to do with Coinbase. Bitcoin has nothing to do with Coinbase. The infrastructure you're talking about is built by people who don't know what they're doing, refuse to batch transactions or like took years to batch transactions, has a shitty back end. And none of that is part of the Bitcoin infrastructure. If you think Coinbase sucks, then why don't you fucking replace them? Why don't you build something that is not an asshole company like Coinbase and I'll use it. But don't bitch about Bitcoin because Coinbase sucks. That's a, that's a huge mistake, Mooch. Damn it. Bitcoin, as well as the rest of the cryptocurrency industry, has also suffered major blows to its infrastructure in the past. Stop doing this. The most notable example of this is the now defunct crypto exchange Mt. Gox. God damn it. And it was hacked at a time when it handled over 70, 000, or 70% of the world's Bitcoin transactions. No. God, you're getting this all wrong. Again, Mt. Cox had nothing to do with Bitcoin. It used Bitcoin. It was part of the Bitcoin ecosystem, but it had not, it, it didn't do anything for Bitcoin. It and guess what? Bitcoin's still here and Mt. Cox isn't. So you know who's where, where's the infrastructure? The infrastructure is the blockchain itself of Bitcoin. It has nothing to do with Mt. Cox or Coinbase. So Mt. Gox did not recover and Bitcoin was dealt a huge blow to its legitimacy as an asset. No, it wasn't. A similar collapse of infrastructure central to Bitcoin could result in institutional investors losing their interest in the cryptocurrency. Quote, instead of having all these Wall Street firms coming out, you could get a couple of not ready, not yet, change their minds again, Messing said. Then, of course, there is the ever-present threat of unknown unknowns. As Donald Rumsfeld famously said, quote, you and I have talked about the pandemic. If we had spoken three or four years ago and I asked you to list the 10 biggest risks to any asset, would you have said that, Messing said? So here's a hefty dose of uncertainty too. Not happy with the guy writing this because he just fell into, this is Scott Cipollina. Scott, the entire bottom third of this article is complete FUD. It's complete FUD. It's bullshit. Mt. Gox has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Coinbase has nothing to do with Bitcoin, or at least the infrastructure. The infrastructure, part of it's sitting on my desk. You know how long it's been up? 
It's been up right now since I updated like for eight days. That's the infrastructure. And it fits in my back pocket, by the way. And there's thousands of these all around the globe. And there are thousands of miners all around the globe. That's the infrastructure. It's not the markets. It's not, it's not any of that bullshit. Stop thinking that the infrastructure has anything to do external to core developers, which by the way, I still love. I'm just a little angry about that whole thing. But core developers, users like me, node runners like me, miners like Great American Mining or uh, SG Barber. Dude, everything else is built on top of Bitcoin and it doesn't affect the internal infrastructure. It's an external infrastructure. Get it right. Let's run numbers. cnbc.com forward slash markets. Why am I not doing futures? I don't need to. I'm doing the show at a, at a time when the markets are actually open and they don't look happy. Uh, of course, it's pretty much meh. We got the S&P 500 down 0.08% to the downside. We got NASDAQ up 0.2. The Dow Jones Industrial is down 0.14. The FTSE is down 0.37. The Nikkei is up 0.82%. Hang, uh, the uh, Hang Seng Index is down 0.12. Shanghai is up a point. And of course, volatility has jumped. Um, maybe they don't like Biden. I don't know. Or maybe it's because they started talking about uh, taxing unrealized gains. That is, I'm, I'm starting to hear that out of the, the new administration already. Think about that. It's like they don't want anybody to own anything because if anything appreciates in value, they'll tax you on it. And I guarantee you, they will not let you record a loss later on. Man, this bad shit, dude. I'm looking heavy at Southern Argentina right now. Why? Because I'm thinking I might freaking move. This is, be this is just stupid. It's like they just want you poor, broke, uneducated, and filled to the gills with shit. Sorry, rant over. 0.66 to the downside, says West Texas Intermediate. $52.96 will get you a barrel of that. Natural gas doing its general thing, down 2.8%. Uh, gold is down 0.236%. Silver uh, it's probably a rounding error, but it looks like it's up 0.02%. Let's see, is there anything else going on here? No, let's talk about real money. Bitcoin, $31,441.88. Uh, I think that's going to be my high. Yeah, that's going to be my high. My low is going to be all the way at Coinbase Pro at $31,213. Quite a big uh, swing room there. 280,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. Roughly 11,500 transactions every hour on the hour. 781,722 Bitcoin being sent in that period. 32,500 BTC are being sent on average every hour. The average transaction value is 2.79 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.025 BTC, about 800 bucks. Block times are high, 11 minutes and 10 seconds. We got 0.8 BTC being taken on a per block basis in fees and 112.3 BTC uh, taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a dip or actually fell off a cliff on the hash rate. Minus 10.6% to the downside leaves us hanging at 135.5 exahashes per second. Doge taking a hit, BSV hit, Bcash hit. Oh, dude, Litecoin flipping Bcash in uh, market cap. <laughs> and is right behind, the, uh, but Litecoin's right behind Ethereum. Uh, Bcash and BSV are now, you know, basically they're kind of like four and five, I guess. Uh, Dogecoin, however, is, well, that, not four and five. They're four and five on my screen, whatever. Dogecoin, however, is at 0 0.0083 cents. And at 26,000 transactions in the day, it only beats Ethereum Classic. There are 75,000 transactions in Mempool at this particular time. That's going to take 86 blocks to clear 
We have captured only 4.86% of gold's market cap, and now one Bitcoin will only get you a mere 16.9 ounces of gold. But at $589 billion of market capitalization, that, that is nothing to sneeze at. And that's all in 18,606,481.65 BTC, which is the amount of coins circulating on the network right now. Uh, Clark Moody has a price of $31,670. We have 1,033 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's worth $32.7 million. We have 8,392 nodes, 36,574 channels. The percentage of the Tor capacity uh, for Lightning is at 52.0%, and that gives the Tor side of the Lightning Network 537.07 BTC, and it's being run over 3,064 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the roundup. The Great Migration. As speech is censored, Bitcoin finds Mastodon. This is by, oh, it's my good friend by Dr. Bitcoin MD. He's writing this for BitcoinMagazine.com. I like this guy. If you're not following him, uh, it, just look for Dr. Bitcoin MD on Twitter. You'll you'll get him. He's, his avatar is like a funky looking crow, I believe, with red eyes and wearing a hat. Well, it finally happened. With a week or so remaining in Donald Trump's four-year term in office as the 45th president of the United States of America, Twitter permanently suspended his account. The president of the United States was also banned from various other social media platforms, including Pinterest of all places. He had a Pinterest account? <laughs> what the hell is Donald Trump doing on Pinterest? This was truly heartbreaking news, as he will now have to seek out an alternative platform on which to construct his vision boards. <laughs> in retrospect, this felt inevitable. Twitter has been flirting with the move for years, with some of the more in most intense pressure coming from within its own ranks. Previous episodes of social media bans of prominent fixture, uh, figures such as Alec Jones and Milo Yiannopoulos have sparked brief conversations about social media censorship. These discussions seemingly fade into the collective unconscious with every refresh of the news feed only to resurface when another name makes the blacklist. But this one is impossible to ignore. It involves the sitting president of the United States, one who received nearly 75 million votes in the 2020 presidential election just a couple of months ago. Several platforms acted in a coordinated fashion like a pride of lions on the hunt in, a, in the Serengeti. As people search for the exit doors of Twitter, the technocrats shut down the escape routes one by one. Apple removed Parler from its app store after demanding that the platform remove content that violated its stated policies. Amazon removed it from the web hosting service. Deutsche Bank, among others, announced that it would not do future business with the president, while Signature Bank <clears throat> announced that it would close Trump's accounts, holding about $5.3 million. God, jeez. Perhaps it's time Orange Man considered... Orange coin. Yeah, you're probably going to have to there, pal. Parlor has been forced to temporarily and perhaps permanently shut down. Parlor CEO John Motzi is now suing Amazon Web Services, claiming Amazon violated antitrust laws. Andrew Torba, CEO of Gab, can sympathize with Mays. Gab experienced a similar fate in the not-too-distant past. Apple and Google have removed Gab from their app stores. Amazon has dropped support for their servers. And PayPal, Stripe, and Visa have all blocked payments through their networks. In response, Torba has adapted the software infrastructure of the platform to a fork of Mastodon, a free and open source social network platform. He began hosting his own servers independently and accepted Bitcoin as a form of payment. Like Parler, Gab was also temporarily inaccessible in the past few days. Unlike Parler, this was not due to censorship, but rather due to server overload. The move toward self-sovereignty paid off. It is still unclear whether... Uh, Gab will gain enough traction to compete with Twitter in the global marketplace of social networks when the dust settles. What is clear, however, is that people are actively shopping around and the Bitcoin community is no exception. As Bitcoin has evolved over the years, so has its community's preferred means of communications from the cypherpunks mailing list to Bitcoin talk forums to Reddit and everything in between. It didn't take long for Bitcoiners to settle in at Twitter and make it their home. 
unlike previous iterations of the Bitcoin community, this one had continual exposure to a global audience. Bitcoin was no longer hidden away in the shadows of niche internet forums. Instead, it was thrown into the pop culture vortex for mainstream consumption. Bitcoin Twitter has expanded its reach over the years, allowing Bitcoiners to connect, spread knowledge to outsiders, rebut the constant mainstream media FUD, and dunk on prominent no-coiners like Peter Schiff and, you guessed it, Noriel Rabini. When Bitcoiners searched for their exit strategy following this most recent crackdown on blacklisted accounts, they found Mastodon. They dusted off an instance by the name of BitcoinHackers.org, which had been established a few years prior as a backup plan in response to various waves of social media censorship. The instance was host to a few thousand active users and many more inactive ones. I, I, I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm one of the inactive ones. Not anymore, though. With each new wave of social media censorship, new users joining the, or joined the community as time went on, People slowly crawled back to Twitter in mass, leaving the platform relatively barren in comparison. Last week triggered another wave of dissidents. This time I joined the migrant caravan and I wasn't alone. The Bitcoin Macedon community has grown from just a few thousand users a week ago to over 10,000 users at the time of this writing. For those unfamiliar with the platform, here is Macedon in a nutshell. Macedon is a free open source, self-hosted social networking service. It allows anyone to host their own server node in the network, often referred to as an instance. These instances are connected as a federated social network, allowing users from different servers to interact. In Mastodon, retweets are boosts, likes are favorites, and tweets are toots. That's right, toots. Toots have a 500 character limit. A local timeline displays toots from everyone on the instance, while a federated timeline displays from toots from everyone else. No ads and all in chronological order. The adjustment was difficult initially as Twitter muscle memory uh, prevented me from taking an open-minded, unbiased approach. After spending a couple of days off of Twitter, it grew on me. The local timeline is continuously filled with high signal to noise Bitcoin content, provocative questions, quantitative analysis, research articles, and memes. Well, naturally, the, the extra characters allow users to make more nuanced points, nuanced points, better simulating real world conversations in contrast to the bumper sticker nature of most tweets. Macedon's favorite and favorite and boost counters are hidden. While this may seem like an odd design decision at first, it does ultimately reduce the potential for subconscious bias as it allows users to judge posts based on their own initial evaluation rather than the consensus evaluation of others. This feature, combined with posts being displayed in chronological order, allows the community to interact more naturally. Fundamentally, Mastodon serves users as a communications platform and not a content consumption platform. It gives all users a fair chance to be heard. No platform is perfect, and Mastodon is no exception. There are trade-offs to every design decision, though the, des the design allows for a more natural conversation. Not being able to sort posts by popularity means potentially missing out on the most engaging posts based on timing alone. The federated timeline can be a bit of a jumbled mess, with thousands of people screaming into the void with no apparent rhyme or reason. In contrast, the local timeline does have the potential to create an echo chamber. Furthermore, the platform can lead to centralization and censorship if not used properly. Although users are flooding into the BitcoinHackers.org instance, they should be encouraged to run their own, akin to running a Bitcoin node to fully utilize the benefits of a federated system. Not your instance, not your data. Bitcoiners would be the first to admit that powerful network effects are an undeniable force to be reckoned with. Their effects compound and become nearly impossible to overcome once they reach a certain threshold. I do not see Twitter disappearing from our lives anytime soon. I also do not believe that Bitcoiners should abandon it entirely. To do so would be to cede the territory of the public square to bad actors. Bitcoiners are notoriously vigilant <clears throat> in their roles as Bitcoin's immune system. An essential part of, the, of an effective immune system is the ability to mount a response at a moment's notice to defend against foreign invaders. Staying dormant is not a viable option for survival. 100% agree, my friend. Macedon pulls Bitcoiners into offer, uh, or well, 
Mastodon pulls Bitcoiners in to offer respite from the soul-sucking nature of the public square and pushes them out when they are ready to share their thoughts with the rest of the world. It binds us closer together as a community with shared values and visions for the future. In essence, it is our first Citadel, and I hope to see you there. Thank you, Dr. Bitcoin MD. That was really nice. I, I enjoyed that. And I especially 100% want to reiterate the, the uh, possibility of leaving Twitter completely forever. No matter how pissed you are, you know, off at Jack Dorsey and Twitter and whatnot, this guy's right. He's absolutely correct. If you leave you cede the space to really bad actors and because they will, you know, they're always there. So this is why I am on both Twitter and Mastodon. This is why I've linked my Twitter to Mastodon and Mastodon to Twitter via MOA party, M-O-A dot P-A-R-T-Y. Go get it so that you can, what's because we'll go get it because if you do this, if you connect them and you do it correctly, and it's not hard, um, <clears throat> it's just basically checking some boxes and making sure that you hit the save button after you authorize the the app to uh, to you know take access or to gain some access for your accounts. And yeah, I know that's gonna spook some of you guys out, but hey, whatever. When I tweet, that tweet immediately goes to Mastodon. When I toot, that toot immediately gets sent to Twitter. I'm on both platforms at once because I am completely eschewing anything that remotely resembles the way that uh, you're supposed to act with the whole cross-posting thing and it's a no-no. Screw that. I'm cross-posting because I want the messages on, doesn't matter what platform I'm on, that message is going out to the other one. I'm on both at the same time. I think you should do the same. Do not leave Twitter completely. Otherwise, you're going to have assholes like Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer just be able to take over the damn space. And God, you don't want that shit, dude. And not just them. I mean, there's whole armies of shit coiners are out there. And we need to be able to mount that response, an immediate response to all the crap that's going on. So consider, if you've left Twitter for good, reconsider that decision. If you're thinking about leaving Twitter for good, please reconsider that situation. Do go and get on a Mastodon instance. It doesn't, I mean, I guess it kind of matters which one. So you might want to look around. Bitcoinhackers.org is currently invite only. I am on it. Um, But just because you can't get on Bitcoinhackers.org doesn't mean that you can't follow me because the way Mastodon works is kind of interesting. And I think there's a lot more there, but more, you know, more on that to come. Meanwhile, we have Sequoia Holdings uh, is letting its employees get paid in Bitcoin. So when Russell O'Kung says, pay me in Bitcoin, apparently he was not the only one. Tim Copeland from Decrypt.co going to tell us about it here. Uh, This is written today uh, for Decrypt. Software company Sequoia Holdings is now letting its employees get paid in Bitcoin. According to an announcement today, it will also let them get paid in Bitcoin cash, God, or Ethereum if they so wish. Quote, we're excited to offer the members of our team this new benefit, says Richard Stoop, CEO of Sequoia. Many of our uh, employees are enthusiastic supporters of cryptocurrency, and we're happy to help them gain exposure to this trillion-dollar asset class. Employees can choose to defer a portion of their salary into cryptocurrency. The announcement did not state if that portion can rise to be 100%. The firm is working with a third-party payroll processing form in order to manage taxes, which will be kept in fiat money and uh, and hold the cryptocurrency. The firm noted that this is similar to how an employee may defer a portion of their salary towards a 401k retirement fund. However, the difference here is that it only applies to income after taxes have been paid. <clears throat> cryptocurrency has emerged as an important alternative to traditional investments like stocks and bonds, Stoop said. We're proud to give the members of our team the ability to easily invest in cryptocurrency and build their savings. Okay, well, so again, pay me in Bitcoin, uh, gonna be a meme, bro. BlockFi adds Bitcoin trading desk for a big invest. God, I'm having some real difficulty today. BlockFi adds Bitcoin trading desk for big investors. Andrew Asmakov is going to tell us about it, also from Decrypt.co. 
BlockFi, a provider of crypto financial services, has launched an over-the-counter trading desk for institutional investors. According to the announcement, dedicated traders on BlockFi's OTC desk will be located in the United States and Asia, providing global support to institution institutions and ultra high net worth clients. The New York based firm, which raised $80 million in two funding rounds last year, will act as an execution partner offering spot trading, credit capabilities and margin trading products. Quote, existing institutional clients are already using many of these BlockFi services independently and have noted the benefits of having a one-stop destination for their digital asset trading and financial needs. Jesus, God. Ugh. That's what Zach Prince said in a statement. BlockFi already provides liquidity for the CME Bitcoin futures platform. The company also owns 5% of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, currently worth over $856 million, and is active in the Bitcoin lending and savings account space. The newly launched OTC desk will support spot trading for major cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Uh, other coins will be supported based on demand and availability on BlockFi's platform. As reported earlier by Decrypt, crypto lending companies experienced impressive growth in 2020. BlockFi in particular saw a 1,500% increase in assets under management, in part due to the surging price of Bitcoin. This growth of the Bitcoin lending market is likely to continue this year as more institutional investors enter the space. So BlockFi launches OTC Desk. The Russians are back at their game. <clears throat> Russian court takes crypto exchange Binance off of their website blacklist. Yay. This is going to be Anna Batakova writing for Coindesk.com sometime today. Binance, the biggest cryptocurrency exchange by trading volume, has persuaded a Russian court to take its website off of a regulator's blacklist. The site had been blocked since June when a court in the Arkadjigalevska region ruled in favor of local prosecutors saying the company was helping distribute information about Bitcoin and that the cryptocurrency is unregulated. Quote, issuance and usage of Bitcoin are fully decentralized and there is no way to regulate it by the government, which contradicts the current Russian law, the September court decision read. <clears throat> However, Binance wasn't notified about the court hearings and only found out that it was blacklisted by the internet censorship agency Roskomandazor three months later, according to Gleb Kostarev, Binance's Russian representative, this presented or prevented the exchange from being able to be properly defend its own rights in court. After Binance challenged the decision requesting the appropriate processes, the prosecutors withdrew their complaint. The new court ruling seen by Coindesk indicates cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are not illegal in Russia. The country's law on digital assets, which came into force on January the 1st, recognizes cryptocurrencies as taxable property and regulates the issuances of centralized digital tokens in the country. President Vladimir Putin also signed <clears throat> uh, an order that civil servants must report their crypto holdings. <sighs> the absurdity of, of that is just ridiculous. The country's central bank has also published a directive limiting the amount of digital assets a non-qualified investor in Russia can buy to no more than 600,000 rubles worth in one year, which is about $7,740 U.S. Rules for how Russians must report their crypto holdings for tax purposes are still being finalized. So, yeah, Russia, <laughs> I don't know. Must report your crypto holdings. Okay, let's just... Let's say that I wanted to run for Congress or something, something stupid like that here in the United States. I'd have to report all the stuff that I'm into because if I don't, they can find it out anyway. They they can just like look at my social security number and figure out all the shit that I'm connected to. However, crypto holding is not so much. The only thing they can prove is that at one point or another, I purchased uh, Bitcoin, say, from uh, from Coinbase. <clears throat> They can see that, but they don't know if I have it. I don't know if I have it. The boat accident that I experienced last week doesn't know that I have it or had it. it I mean, you can't, again, this is one of the fundamental things that is working in our favor. And I can't see it ever working against us is the fact that you cannot prove that I hold the private key. Because it's a bearer instrument. Bitcoin at its core is a bearer instrument. 
So if I go and buy $100,000 United States bearer bonds with certificates attached or whatever the hell that means, and I throw them into a safe somewhere in a place that I don't know that my or that I don't own and my name's not connected to it, you can't prove that I have those bonds. And in fact, technically, I don't because I'm not in physical, I'm not holding the bearer instrument, I literally do not have that instrument. Only when I put it in my hands and somebody takes a picture of me holding the bearer instrument, can anybody prove that at that snapshot in time that I was in possession of this particular bearer instrument? So when they say you've got to report your crypto holdings, I'm just going to give them the finger. You don't know what I'm holding. You'll never be able to prove that I'm holding. The only thing that you can prove is that at one point in the past, I held a bearer instrument, but only for that time. So fuck off, die. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a little testy today. And it's probably because of shit like this. Let's not be Bitcoin. Yearn Finance considers minting $200 million in brand spanking new Wi-Fi tokens. Turns out the no inflation meme may not be here to stay. This is Coindesk's uh, Brady Dale is writing this one. <clears throat> Bitcoin may be the original cryptocurrency, but that doesn't mean lending decentralized finance DeFi projects aren't feeling self-confident enough to distinguish, distinguish themselves from Satoshi's vision. Quote, let's not be Bitcoin. This idea of hard caps for startups is very romantic, but not necessarily the best execution path for maximal value, a participant in Yearn's governance forum, Wi-Fi underscore lit, wrote on January the 13th. Wi-Fi lit uh, wrote that in defense of his now modest proposal to mint a fresh new cache of 1,000 Wi-Fi tokens, currently priced at over $30,000 per token. The same token that made the portal to DeFi Yearn famous uh, last summer, uh, when 100% of its supply was given to Ethereum users and assets staked in urine or in key urine finance vaults. But the news proposal has evolved. Now the urine community is gauging sentiment for increasing the supply by 22% of a minting of 6,666 additional Wi-Fi worth something like $200 million at current prices, a third of which would go to core contributors, and the rest would go to the treasury. The proposal, authored by 11 different people, scammers, you spelt scammers wrong, views, quote, the fair launch as a living concept rather than a single event, they write. If sentiment looks good, it will be written up as code and voted on-chain using the governance app Snapshot. Not everyone is happy about the new developments, of course, evoking themes like immutability and fixed monetary policy familiar to many longtime crypto enthusiasts. At least two Wi-Fi holders announced on the forum that they could no longer participate in a protocol that wasn't under or honoring its understood social contract. Quote, I have observed the inability of the Wi-Fi project to detach itself from Lord and Savior Andre Cronjay and find its own path, Captain Obvious wrote under Wi-Fi underscore Lit's post, announcing he's leaving. When another user chimed in with the same decision, Wi-Fi Lit replied, sorry for you to leave, but glad that people with that sort of attitude towards our builders are gone. Mm. And it's not entirely unfair that some would see it as a kind of contract. Last year, Cronjay put up a proposal himself to never mint any more Wi-Fi, and it seemed to pass. Over 90% of tokens voting supported it, but less than 15% of the token supply took part. But the vote was never acted on. This is a controversial point in the community, but the current argument is that the only vote was a first phase or sentiment gathering vote. <laughs> just, it's just narrative of the day. It's just like a, just like a, a roulette wheel, man. Users never did the follow-up vote on actual code, so it didn't actually count. Quote, what we had in September was a classic case of misalignment between stakeholders in the Wi-Fi community. Spencer Noon, now a variant fund, told Coindesk, burning the keys would have likely caused the price of Wi-Fi to appreciate in the short run, but potentially at the expense of the project's long-term sustainability. Yearn's governance process have become more formalized since those early days, but the confusion around the decision persists. It appears Cronjay has had second thoughts. 
On January the 12th, he wrote again on Medium about why building in DeFi sucks. Quote, don't give away your tokens, Cronjays wrote. I still have all the responsibility and expectations, except I have zero of the reward or upside. Don't do this. I was an idiot. End quote. Cronjays should be noticed as famous for expressing his frustrations without being entirely committed to actions he's espoused in a heated moment. He also has always had his eye on the door and may ultimately view a compensation scheme as something that would tie him down. That said, Yearn isn't just Cronjay now. As its team of ambitious uh, ambitions grow, it took or it continues to look more and more like the protocol that will gobble all of DeFi. Its existing base of supporters doesn't want to risk losing the talent that has gotten the platform this far. By and large, it appears that the token supply will expand fairly soon. Quote, Bitcoin has the same mindset and they're getting blown out of the water by Ethereum because of it. <laughs> I finally contended. Oh, God, it hurts. DeFi is building its own set of OGs and they seem to be largely circling their wagons around this move. Mario Conti, the former chief of Oracles at MakerDAO and current member of Yearn's Multisig, the closest the protocol has to a board of directors. <laughs> told Coindesk over Telegram, quote, I'm very much in favor. Wi-Fi was the first fair launch experiment, and my conclusion is that in the end, this model didn't align properly with an ecosystem of developers and strategy writers, which is the lifeblood of a yield aggregator like Yearn, end quote. <clears throat> Last September, Joel Monegro <clears throat> of Placeholder wrote a blog post urging communities to consider a buyback and make approach to using platform profits rather than buyback and burn. Taking this to heart, the Yearn community moved forward a Yearn improvement proposal called Buyback and Build Yearn, or BABY. It passed with 99% support, but less than 10% of Wi-Fi voting. This sounds familiar. BABY would use profits from Yearn to buy Wi-Fi on the open market and use it for contributor rewards and other Yearn initiatives. Previously, most of the revenue was distributed to Wi-Fi holders who staked for governance, <clears throat> but the returns for doing so were fairly low. Yearn is currently earning around $100,000 a week per fees, and community member Ryan Watkins contends that this could be better invested in Yearn itself. Quote, Yearn has proven its ability to provide real value to Wi-Fi holders uh, distributing protocol revenue as dividends is a suboptimal capital allocation strategy given Yearn's stage of maturity, Watkins wrote in October. However, the sense of the community seems to be that Baby itself is not sufficient to hold on to the core team. The new proposal suggests Baby will only be able to buy 100 to 300 Wi-Fi per year, uh, despite the fact that Yearn is rapidly expanding and launching a new version soon, quote, earnings will likely not be enough to accumulate a sufficient amount of Wi-Fi for the treasury, the proposal authors contends. If the 6,666 tokens are minted, a compensation committee will take charge of negotiating deals with specific contributors around their, quote, retention package, end quote. Quote, in my opinion... This is yet another example of Wi-Fi having one of the most robust and prudent communities in all of Scamtown. I mean, DeFi, Noon wrote. Before a proposal can go to an on-chain vote using Snapshot, it has to run for three days in conversation on the forums. It currently has 133 votes. Roughly 75% are in support of minting more Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Though some have already begun to doubt the process, quote, at the end of the day, the devs are going to do what they think is best, regardless of community opinion. Uh, Dank Monty wrote as the conversation began, quote, so just let us know. No need for all this drama. Uh, okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, DeFi. This has been a shit show. It's made a lot of people rich. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but man, committees and subcommittees and board of directors and why uh wi-fi print or uh yearn finance whatever wanting to print more of their tokens and i mean flip-flopping of of you know of sentiment from the people that started the whole damn thing in the first place what does that sound like that sounds like modern economic uh what would not theory but modern economic structure the, the the shit that we see out of governments, hand over fist, it's the same shit. They never stick to their promises. 
They're always printing more money. It doesn't matter what anybody says because the only people that are going to make the decision anyway don't give a shit about what the community says. They're just going to do it or they're not going to do it. And this guy's saying, hey, man, you know, dude, there's no need for all this drama. Just you're going to do what you're going to do. So just go ahead and do it and save us the damn drama. Well, I, I don't see this ending anything but badly. Not before a whole bunch of people get rich, though, but they're going to get rich off of the backs of their very own plebs, I guarantee you they don't care. Anyway, that's going to do it for the news. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, My wife, you need to do more chores around the house. Me. Can we change the subject? My wife. Okay, more chores around the house need to be done by you. Yes, sir. That's a right fine one right there, man. Good grammar jokes. Or make really terrible, bad, (laughs) bad dad jokes. Anyway. I don't have a train wreck for you because honestly, the whole day has been a train wreck. So I'm just going to go ahead and cut my losses and I will check you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.